Remember the first time you saw a race car on an open trailer? Maybe it was full of dirt, tire marks, and other battle scars. You wondered where it had been, and more importantly, where it was going next. Every open trailer has a story, and we're here to tell it. Welcome to the Open Trailer Podcast. Stage number three wraps up my conversation with Andy Santer. My name's Andy Austin, the host of the Open Trailer Podcast, and in this stage, Andy moves back north, forms a super team with Joe Bessie, becomes a dominant force in the Bush East series, eventually moves into a team ownership role, talks about his ultra-successful driver development program, and we wrap the conversation by bringing things full circle talking about his father and a special hunting trip that Andy just experienced at the end of 2020. Now, this podcast directly benefits Maine Vintage Race Car Association. Thank you so much for your support and all the new members who have signed up. There are a number of ways that you can support our mission. First, and most importantly, become a member by visiting MainVintageRace.org. That's MainVintageRace.org. Individual memberships are available for less than $2 a month. Racing is a family sport. You can also get a family membership. You can support Open Trailer Podcast on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash open trailer podcast. Now, the money raised goes directly into the production and equipment needed to make this possible. Again, appreciate your support. Let's check in with Mr. Santer. A lot of people know you from the Obashan car in that era with Joe Bessie. How did that all come together? Well, Joe and I were sharing a shop down in North Carolina. He'd done that power team deal with Jeffrey Bodine, mm-hmm. been through the cup deal, had all these cars, and he had his own Bush cars. And that that whole deal kind of ended, and Joe still had all the equipment. Well, he needed a place to store it. And the shop he was in, he wasn't going to pay the big rent because they weren't racing that year. This would have been in 2002. So I said, hey, Joe, I'm over at Bobby Allison Motorsports renting a small space and I was just doing my own Bush North deal, one car. And I said, there's all kinds of room there. You know, it's a big shop. If you want to, you'd ought to check into renting that. So he did. And he stored all of his equipment there. And I ended up, he'd come in once in a while and see me and check on his stuff. And and I said, hey, if you ever need anything, let me know because I'm right here. Well, I ended up winning the championship that year uh, in the North Series in 2002. I come back to the North and I ended up getting the Less Care Kitchen sponsorship. Mm. And we won the championship. And uh, the end of that season, that was a one-year deal with Less Care. That was it. And I was like, man, I don't know what I'm going to do now. I won the championship. Had you driven a truck in between here somewhere around? I had I had run, uh, I think I only ran one truck race. I ran at Watkins Glen. Mm. And uh, actually, a good good friend of mine, he's from Kentucky. His name is Briggs Cunningham. And a lot of people know that the Cunningham Car Company uh, was Briggs's dad had started that back in the 50s and he run Le Mans and some of these he was very well known in the U.S. Uh, but Briggs and I met at a truck race and he's he was he's been a good friend for the last well since 1997 I met him at Nazareth Pennsylvania and I I ended up driving his craftsman truck for 75 laps because his son was got heat exhaustion nice. driving it and I had just finished driving my own North car and, and finished like third. And he come and got me in victory lane and asked me, or I wasn't in victory lane, I was in 
the technical inspection area and Briggs Cunningham come over and asked me to to drive his son's truck the last 75 laps of the truck race so I did that was my first experience in a truck wow but what I was going to get as Briggs let me use one of his trucks in I think it would have been like 2000 or 2001 I took one of his trucks to Watkins Glen and ran the truck race and we finished like 16th I think but we we had fun It it was a good experience so so your lights out, Bush North, uh, in the early two thousands. You know, champion. Uh, how many championships you get? Three or four? I got four, four in, in a row. row. Yeah, yeah, I got four and did it all in a row. Never yeah. to be duplicated. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, with you what they have know. now. Now you're so. Do you wait a minute? Do you consider yourself an ARCA champion now? I don't know. No, no. <laughs> I never ran an ARCA race. So. Well, I mean, ARCA is essentially what they've taken it over. Yeah, but I know um, they have. Yeah. So 2005, last year of driving. Uh, tell me about that team because now um, the Griswold had come into your life. Well, yeah, we, we ran 2003 and 2004. I ran with Joe and Nancy Bessie as the owners. And I'll tell you, those are the two best. I've, I've told a lot of people. Those were the two best racing years uh, of my life. Joe, he wasn't always there. He let me manage it, but he gave me stuff that I'd never had. I mean, I had a truck driver. I had a a full-time mechanic. I had fabricators in the shop helping me. I set my own cars up, but other than that, I didn't have to do everything like I had in the past. Mm. And, man, we were pretty dominant with that Obishon car. Um, When we unloaded, everywhere we went, we were fast, and we were were the car to beat those two years. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was a great feeling. But at the end of that season, Joe told me, he said, hey, he said, Obishon's probably not going to come back. And he goes, I'm kind of burned out on it. And he said, uh, if you can find someone that will buy the equipment, he said, I wouldn't mind selling. And I said, okay. So I got looking around, went to the banquet, and Steve Griswold come up to me. And he says, uh, he says, hey, what are you doing next year? And we, we talked. And I said, hey, Steve. I said, you know, he said, I'd like to win another championship, but I can't seem to do it as long as you're here. <laughs> and I said, well. Because he had Brad Layton, Mike Stefanik. Yeah. And he had, And know, they were good, and yeah. they ran good. I just, I, I just happened to... to be, be better. Be, well, I was out running them those yes. few years, you know. And I said, uh, I said, well, we, we can talk. I said, Joe wants to get rid of the stuff, you know, sell the equipment. And I said, I, I'd love to work for you, Steve. I, mean, I knew Steve Griswold and Peg Griswold. They, they were great friends and great people. And mm. I knew Mike Stefanik and Brad Layton could both win races. Yep. And at that point, I was looking for a job more than I was. I was looking for a job more than I was for a driving job. And I told Steve, I said, hey, call me. We can talk. I said, I'd run you a deal for you from North Carolina. And I said, I'd prepare all the cars and get them ready and let Mike and Brad drive. So you were running this team out of North Carolina, but as a Bush North team? Yes. Yeah, exactly. How did that work? It wasn't bad. It was a lot of driving. Yeah. Um, I, mean. I drove to every race. I hauled my own cars back. Well, in 2002, I had a 110 Chevy Dually, and I only had the one car, so I towed it everywhere myself. And had a good friend of mine from South Carolina, Tex, who was part of my crew. We call him Tex because he wears a cowboy hat. Mm. But he worked for uh, one of the paper companies, and he got a lot of time off. So he'd go to every race with me, and he'd help me drive when I'd get tired. A lot of your friends have a ton of time off. I've noticed this. They do. I know. They they were smarter than me. They picked jobs that... That if you work for enough years, you accumulate all this time, and I yeah. never had a job like that. Wow. So, two thousand five, looking at the win column, your your last big win in Dover. What was that like? That was huge because uh, we'd had a great season, but Dover was always a thorn in my side. I'd been I'd been okay there, but there was always there was always one guy that would go to Dover and hit the setup or just was good there, you know. 
Uh, I remember Paul Wolf. He's a good friend of mine. He was always good at Dover. Um, there was other guys, you know, Matt Koblock always ran out front at Dover. Mm. There were certain guys that just that track was good to them. And I was average, you know. And I said, man, I love that track. I went there once with a bush car. I think it was in 99, and I qualified like sixth. And I I was the fastest in happy hour, and I had a great car, and I ended up blowing the engine. But um, I said, I know if I get the right car and the right setup, I can win that race. Well, I worked really hard on my car that whole week getting ready for Dover. And I was I tried some different things you know on the suspension and we got there and the car was good it drove real good it handled good but it wasn't real fast oh you didn't you qualified 14th i, I remember i qualified yeah. 14th and i remember kelly moore's son ryan mm-hmm. he was the guy he had uh he had a dei a dale Earnhardt incorporated engine under the hood of his car mm-hmm. he had a whole D, uh, dale Earnhardt team there pitting the car and crewing it and i said man he's gonna be tough to beat and uh but i started 14th and i started picking my way to the front and I said, man, this thing is on a rail. I mean, it was it was as good a handling car as I've ever had. Mm. And it came down to me having to pass. I got caught for speeding on pit road. Um, and I had to go to the tail end, the longest line with like 40 laps to go. I got back to second, but Ryan Moore had a pretty good lead. And the only thing that saved me, we had a caution with like 10 to go. And I said, boys, it was it was hot that day, I remember. And we had a red flag. And they uh, some of the crew uh, workers, the racetrack crew, brought waters out to us. And it, it was a good thing because I was about ready to fall out of the seat. And I mm. got some of that water in me, and I radioed the crew. And I said, I said, boys, I'm going to tell you. I said, where are you going? I said, it's going to be checkers or wreckers. And they said, what do you mean? And I said, that was the first year of the double file restart system. Mm. I said, because I'm lining up on the outside of Ryan. I said, and he's got more motor than we do. But I said, I'm not lifting until I hear him lift. And we went off into turn one, side by side, and I heard him crack the throttle, and I held it down. Yeah. And I'll tell you, you I scooched. I scooched. I remember puckering in the seat, thinking, yep. oh, this isn't good. Right. I buried that thing in. And it stuck. And I lifted for a boat. Uh, I mean, I lifted for a second, maybe, and I pushed it right back to the floor. And when I heard the spotter say clear, mm-hmm. I just I just kept digging. And old Ryan was right on my back bumper and freeing me up. And I just drove it for 10 laps as hard as I could drive it. And we come across the start finish line. He was beside me for mm-hmm. the checkered. It was a great race. And uh, that was that was a pretty cool win. Did you think that was going to be your last big win? Um, yeah, I knew that I was getting done at the end of the season. I think we only had one race left after that. Mm. It's kind of funny, but I'd had back surgery three weeks before that race and uh on the I, concrete racing the concrete yeah, that's and kind they, of, yeah. i knew it was going to be rough and, mm. it, and it was but i had gone to new hampshire the week before and finished like fifth and then went to dover and ended up winning so it, it all worked out good but that was a, that was a pretty big win to win at dover it was pretty cool so then you move into uh more of an ownership role or team manager role can you tell me about um that with the bush east tour and also uh your drive for diversity yeah what what started that whole um driver development thing was steve griswold i i worked for him for that year in 2005 and drove for him and peg and we finished me and mike stefanik finished one and two in the points had a great season and it's kind of funny i tell the story but at the end of the year i steve wanted to win another championship that's all he wanted and i, <laughs> yes. I got him that championship yeah. he was so happy he told my wife he goes look he said book a cruise for every person on these three teams we had mike's team brad only ran a partial season he ran had the Irvin oil deal uh, sponsorship mm. mike had burnham and i had the sheridan hotels which was steve's deal because right. i wasn't even gonna race that year 
And Peg Griswold's the one that made the call for me to race. She said, Stephen, he's racing. So the three of us got to race. But uh, anyway, Sue booked a carnival cruise for 76 people, and Steve pay- Stephen Pegg paid for it all. Wow. And we went on a cruise. We got back, and we found out that Burnham was no longer going to sponsor uh, the Griswold team, Grisco, because uh, NASCAR had moved the North races to Fridays at New Hampshire. And there was like three or four races that happened. And Burnham always had a hospitality tent and everything mm. on Saturday at New Hampshire. And they said, hey, we can't bring our employees out on a Friday, you know. How much are they spending with a top-tier Bush East team in 2005, 2006? I think we were spending about five to 600000 per team for mm. full full you know full time yeah. deal wow. i i remember steve saying he spent like 1.8 million that year it was three three teams but we built new cars and right. we did a lot of stuff so uh, you go to the banquet you go to the cruise and everything and then uh you end up are you co-ownership with uh, the griswolds kind of yeah. steve called me and he said hey look we got the championship that's what i wanted burnham's not coming back mm. he said why don't you take my equipment he goes you and sue and he said uh start asm motorsports back up and do a driver development because i was all done racing because of my back i pretty much made that decision that Mm -hmm. i had back surgery i finished out the year but i knew it was going to be difficult to race every week and that last year there was a guy who was driving for barney uh, as things work out sean case Case, who was making that car faster than anybody else had ever made that car. oh absolutely and i had to pass him at dover to win that race yes and he finished like third that day in barney's car and he he put on a show and we knew that he could drive so he ends up driving for you. So basically, he'd already talked to Grisco about doing something. He had the Casella sponsorship. Oh. And he'd talked to Steve about coming over there and being a teammate to me and Mike Stefanik. And Steve was all for it. Well, we'd already talked about it that year when we went to the showdown. That was all going to happen. Well, then Steve called me and said, hey, why don't you take Sean and take that Casella deal and you kind of refurbish ASM Motorsports, do a driver development program. Hmm. So that's what we did. And it kind of worked out good because I, I ended up after Sean ran so good in my stuff that we uh, we attracted, like, DEI. They wanted to put Jeffrey Earnhardt in a car. So we did that for a year. With, he was a teammate of Sean. Mm. We had uh, we had What kind of guy was Jeffrey Earnhardt? Oh, Jeffrey's laid back. Yeah. I mean, he's, yeah, just real southern, real nice mm-hmm. kid, polite, just – didn't say much to anybody. He just wanted to drive. And he was really young, too. He was, what, 19, 20 at the time? I he, mean, was he was real young. I think yeah. he was like 17 when oh, he was, really? or 18 when, yeah. he start, when he drove for us. He was very young. Did Trevor Bain drive for you? No, I knew Trevor from the Hooters Pro Cup Series. I'd helped Joey Logano a little bit for like five races till he could get a crew chief. Mm. And uh, Trevor Bain was on that series, so I got to know Trevor. And he real nice guy, nice, mm. nice, nice kid. So this goes for a while. Uh, how did that end, or why did that just... Yeah, how that ended is uh, 6 and 7, we had Sean and, and uh, Jeffrey one year. I think it was 07. And then in 2008, we had uh, Peyton Sellers took over the Casella deal because Sean went to Arker and doing some truck races. Right, yeah. So Peyton took over that, and we had Casella for a partial deal. And then... Uh, we had uh, actually Mike Dillon, who was a friend of mine from the Bush Series, but he was the manager at, at uh, Richard Childress Racing. He married Richard's daughter. He called me about running Austin Dillon in one of the in our K and N car. Mm. So Austin came over and run uh, about half a season for us uh, in 2008, along with Peyton Sellers. And then at um, 
think it was at the end of that year, 2000, 2009, I signed Brett Moffat. I was looking for another driver. And Brett Moffat was a young kid out of Iowa that nobody had heard of. He'd gone to Kenny Schrader's shop and come to my shop, and he decided that he liked the low-key, the small mm. group that we had, and he wanted to come there, and his dad footed the bill and took care of us, and we ran Brett Moffat in 2009 and set on the pole the first race he ever been in on asphalt. Yeah, I remember there was, might have been a race in Stafford that I saw that he was just, he was so good. Oh, yeah, you know? he was good. That, might have been Stafford. Yeah, it could have been, yeah. He was just awesome he he was good everywhere we went he should have won Loudon and had a flat tire and knocked the wall down but er, we did win Dover that year with him in 2009 mm. and uh, it's funny because I pretty much won Dover with almost everybody that drove yeah. for me yeah. so uh that was kind of cool but Brett at the end of 2009 Brett's dad wasn't really sure if he could afford to do it again and uh, I I got contacted by NASCAR and they wanted to know if I wanted to sell my program that they were going to be starting a diversity program so i uh, kind of got the ball rolling and i talked to steve griswold at the time and i said steve a lot of this equipment's yours you let me get my deal started and what do you want to do he said well hey i'll do whatever you want to do so um the deal was they offered me a pretty good amount of money for what i had mm. but they wanted they wanted me to manage the diversity program so uh revolution racing basically bought my team out mm-hmm. and uh I went to work for them, and I managed that deal for a couple of years. You came back racing for fun a couple of years ago in a legend car. Of course, you wanted to win. You wanted to you know, be up front, but there was another motivation for your racing. Yeah, yeah. My, my daughters had never seen me race. Oh, actually, right. my youngest daughter, Samantha, Thursday Night Thunder at Beatridge. Bubba <laughs> Wallace let me have his legend car. No kidding. And, uh, so, and Reed Lamfer, actually, Reed, Reed and his dad, uh, the one Scott, they they got me started on the the legend car thing because I was at Beatridge just to watch them, and Scott says, "Hey, I bought another legend car. You want to try it?" And I said, well, "I'll try it." I went out and I was horrible, yeah. and he he said, "Hey, you can do whatever you want to that." So I started working on it and I got it. <laughs> I said, "I'm going to coil bind this thing." They said, "Oh, you can't do that." I said, "We're going to try it." Yeah. So I did, and I finished second to read one night with yeah, it that way. That was a great race, but I couldn't win, you know. Yeah. And then I got Bubba Wallace's car and thought maybe he had some tricks that, and I still couldn't win them young guys were whooping me so hmm. but I ran at Oxford during the Oxford 250 I finished uh, third over there yeah. Reed, Reed won and I think uh, I can't remember the other kid's name but those young guys are tough to beat in those legend cars they, they had them figured out yeah. but my daughter did get to see me race so that was cool what did she say? Dad you're so not cool she, yeah, yeah pretty much she said I went down over the bank one night at Beatridge I think I was avoiding a wreck, and I hit the brakes, and I went straight, went down. Yeah, turn three. Yeah, turn three. I was was calling the race. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So I came back up, and that that was the first time my daughter had ever been to a race. Oh, boy. (laughs) She's like, Dad, you scared me. I I was embarrassed, she said. Yeah. I said, well, if you think you were embarrassed, what do you think I felt? I'm I'm this big NASCAR hotshot, and I'm I'm in a legend car, and I'm down over the bank, and I can't win. How do you think I feel? Isn't that weird when we're that age where we're embarrassed to be with – or embarrassed to do cool things with our parents. So you were embarrassed when, what was it that your dad had, that motorcycle? Oh, yeah, right? yeah. I wouldn't ride on it after I was about 13. No, you know? 13's the like, age. No way. My dad had a 1930 Model A. Oh, yeah. Rumble seat. Hey, you want to go riding through Sanford? Not after no, I was 13. <laughs> no, <laughs> that weird. seems to be the age. Yeah. It's kind of funny because my daughter, Sammy, Samantha, mm. she just turned 13 mm. two days ago, December oh, wow. 1st. So... So I think she's going to be too cool to, to hang out. But right now she's still 
pretty good. She's still got the kid in her, and I hope she keeps that for a year or two longer, you know. One of the other photos that you brought was a, a photo uh, from 2004, you and another gentleman there. Yep, that was me and my dad. At, um, that was at Lee Speedway, uh, Lee, New Hampshire. And the reason I brought that photo is I lost my dad in October, and mm. um, that was it was a tough thing. And, and every time I see that picture, that's one of my favorite pictures of me and my dad together. Mm. And uh, he that was a proud moment for him you know it was opening day at lee and uh i had one in 02 one in 03 and he says i don't know if you can win another one here i said <laughs> well i'm gonna try yep. so he ended up in victory lane i think that's the only picture my dad ever got in in victory lane with me and it was just me and him holding the trophy and that was a pretty neat deal after losing him and uh special special picture i guess now uh off the racetrack you're you're a sportsman just like your uh, your father was too uh interesting story on on this year's success out in the woods yeah my dad he loved to hunt and uh he loved shooting deer and he kind of built a pretty unique spot in in his backyard you could hunt in your bed slippers he had an old uh like a 48 foot box trailer in his backyard full of old parts and stuff for years mm. well about 10 years ago he decided that he was getting too old to sit in a tree stand and uh, hunt you'd get cold and he said at my age you have to use the bathroom too often to sit in a tree stand so he built a lounge up in the front of this trailer and he put school bus windows in the front on the right side left side and in the in the very front of it it's like and, a renaissance man oh yeah huh. and he put a recliner in there he put a little gas grill and he put a gas heater and he had a coffee pot and Mm -hmm. he even built his own urinal so he didn't have to go anywhere so he uh he hunted out of that trailer for the last 10 or 12 years and he always got a big buck hunting Mm -hmm. season and he'd watch he'd go up there every morning every afternoon he'd watch deer all the time and he'd wait for a buck to come out and he'd get one so this year he told me he says hey uh he said you might want to shoot my gun he said before hunting season he said if i don't make hunting season he said you got to get one with it i said all right well this rifle my sisters i have three sisters and we we bought him a real special rifle about eight years ago i saw it at l bean and i just loved this gun and i showed my father the gun and he loved it but he wouldn't spend the kind of money to get a rifle like that he'd he'd hunted with the same gun his whole life Mm. so we bought it for him as as a birthday gift and it's one of the only times in my father's life i ever saw him shed a tear he was just he, he was awestruck that we would would do that and every year or in hunting season he would carry that gun up to his we call it his hunting condo this trailer yeah he carried it up there in the morning in a case he'd take it out put a shell in it stand it up in the corner and every and he'd bring it back in the case and every afternoon he'd lug it back up he never took that outside not in the case wow he was so proud of this gun so this year I've been hunting every Saturday. I took his gun, put a shell in it, stuck it in his holder, but I lugged it up there in the case just like he did, and I hadn't seen any. I'd seen a lot of deer, but I hadn't seen a buck, Hmm. and it's bucks only down there. And uh, so I went down last Wednesday night, the night before Thanksgiving. I was going to spend Thanksgiving with my mom anyway. So I went down, and I got up early, and I went out, and I was sitting there watching deer, and I had 16 does and lambs in front of me. I was texting my sister, texting pictures, and just <laughs> thinking I'm never going to, there's no yeah. buck going to come out. I've been here every Saturday and never seen a buck. Mm. And about, I'd been there about an hour and a half after daylight, and I was thinking about, well, I'll be going in soon. And I looked, and I saw a doe run to my right out of the right window, run as fast she could across the field. I said, wow, that's kind of odd. I said, she was flying, you know. And then I looked, and this six-point buck steps out. Wow. So I grabbed Dad's gun, 
I'm pretty excited. Yep. I stick it out the window, and I'd gone up there in the dark. Well, I didn't take the scope covers off the scope. So I had to pull the gun back in. So he he had his eye on one thing, and it was yeah. that doe that come had gone running across the field. So anyway, I got the scope covers off, got it back out the window, and uh, end of story. I I, I got one. So wow, uh, did it with my father's gun, and I said, you know, my sisters were all excited, my mom was excited. And what said, does that compare to uh, to a big race? It's got to be kind of the same thrill. It's kind of the same thrill. Yeah. Your heart's racing, and you you I don't know. It's it's kind of I I don't know if you'd call it a goal, but I I had my heart set on mm. getting a deer yep. for my father's sake you know and i knew he'd want me to get one and i um didn't know if it was going to happen or not but the the time came and it was it was it was pretty thrilling actually it was kind of like winning a race you yeah know? it's a neat story so i was all alone and it was kind of like just i know he was there with me but yeah you uh, talk to him at all or yeah i do i mean yeah. sitting up there you can feel his presence because he's the only one that really spent a lot of time in that Right. Little condo, we call it. Right. It's uh, it's kind of, you know, an hour and a half at a time. I'd go up there and just sit and think about all the things we did. So it was pretty emotional, but um, mm. I was pretty, pretty happy to get one. He'd have been proud. And that will do it. Special thanks to Andy Santer for taking time out of his schedule to record a wide-ranging conversation and going deep into the Open Trailer Podcast. Next up, episode four featuring this guy. And we're going to go back to a question you asked me earlier. How did I look at that time? Oh, so you're some hippie from the north. Some hippie from the north. Yeah. So we go down in the hollow to Wilkesboro. And, and you show up at Junior Johnson's. You got those, they're old garages, add-on garages, nothing like today's Taj Mahal's. Finally comes walking out of the house, a truck, old truck and trailer sitting there. They just come back. They'd won the uh, Music City 420 in Nashville. The car was still in the trailer. And he says, he comes out. Just like you saw him on Pit Road, the white T-shirt and like the painter's coveralls, mm-hmm. pulling on his nose, just like he did on TV. <laughs> and he says, come on into the office. We're going to this little office. And he said, can I help you? Very cordial, just like he'd known us forever. And I'm way over my head. Yeah, this and is, wow. I just wow. said, well, we're from here and here, and back in Maine, and uh, I'd like to buy a motor from you just stepped in it as big why as not I, yeah stepped in it as big as i could you know hmm. and he uh he, he just stares at me for about 20 <laughs> seconds you know and i said oh jesus here we go doesn't say a thing no just looks at me wow and uh he says you know i'll build your motor but it won't do you any good he said my stuff is so heavy it lasts you five years he said but i'm on my way to banjo matthews to pick up a car Kale wrecked, and we need it for Dover this week. Jump in the truck with me. The one and only Pete Silva, next time on the Open Trailer Podcast.